Pulp MX Network production. Josie's on a vacation far away. From inside the truck, X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's industry seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Fly Racing, Blends All Racing Motor Oil, Works Connection, Plum Creek Funding, 612 Suspension. Fast Foundry and Pro Glow. Hey everyone, it is the Industry Seating Podcast. I am your host, Jason Thomas. It's going to be kind of a short episode this week, and I say that a lot, but this one actually is. I'm just going to answer a couple of questions. Before we get to that, I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast Pirelli Tires, Blenzel Oils. Works Connection, Fast Foundry, Plum Creek Funding, Premier Vapor Blasting of Georgia, 612 Suspension, Grant Stone Boots, Pro Glow Wash, and of course, Fly Racing. So pretty wild week. I mean, unless you live under a rock, you would know all the craziness with the election and everyone seems to have their own opinion on it. Pretty divided nation right now. And I mean, that's kind of what politics are. You know, some of my best friends are on a completely different plane of thought than I am. And that's okay. You know, we don't, we don't have to agree. The biggest thing is just trying to keep civility and understanding that you can completely disagree with someone and everything about their way of thought and still understand that they are a great person. Much like Steve Matheson, myself, we disagree on most things, but at the end of the day, I know he would do a lot for me and I would do, you know, pretty much anything he needed. That that's just the, the common bond we have. And we both respect each other. We just, don't really see things the same way. And that's all right. You know, you guys all see us battling on Twitter and on the shows and all this stuff. But I think keeping the respect level there and having, you know, open debate, right? You can have open debate and you can disagree and argue, but you don't have to name call. You don't have to take cheap shots. Uh, And that's, I see so much of that on social media and it's unfortunate. I, there are a lot of hard feelings out there right now. You know, the, the, discord between the two sides is it's rough it's not calm debate it's a lot of uh there's just so much emotion involved in it so uh that would be the only thing i would comment on it is just try to exercise a little bit of patience um i don't think it's going to get better anytime soon but i'm hoping at the end of the day and you know if it's days or months or i guess years too we can all agree that what we need to do is is work together however we can to make America the best place possible and how we get there no idea because there is a a wide gulf between how maybe I would I would think America would be best served and how some of my friends would view America being best served so again tough question to ask but as for this week just a couple questions that I didn't get to last week emailed uh, into me. I wanted to wanted to answer, and also I wanted to get some sort of podcast recorded. I know there's not much happening out there in the way of moto right now, so at least it'll give you a few minutes of entertainment for this week. But this question comes from Skyler, and this question I kind of covered over quarantine, but 
uh, for those of you who are newer to the show or, and I'll try to answer it a little bit differently. He asked, what would you think my, well, what do I think my best year was as a professional racer? Which year do I think was my worst or maybe left the most on the table? And is there, so there's a few questions, obviously. Is there one thing that held me back as a professional or do you feel like you maxed your potential during your career? And one final question, is there a current rider that reminds you of yourself as far as style, consistency, work ethic, etc.? So let's start at the, start at the top first year or excuse me, best year. I don't, oh, it's tough. Best year. I think it was kind of a range because the 05, 06, 07 sucked. So I'll say 05 and 06 were probably the best. Uh, I had a really good bike in 05. Uh, you know, that was my third year at Subway Coca-Cola Honda and Honda blessed us with a really improved 2005 motorcycle. They took the 250F frame from 2004, uh, that was a brand new bike and put it on the 2005 450. So immediately the bike was much smaller, much more nimble, much more compact. And so it turned better. It was, uh, I don't want to say more stable, but it, it didn't lose any stability and it did a lot of things, uh, a lot better. And in the whoops, I just felt like it was a, a huge step forward. We also made some changes to that bike that year. As far as sponsorship, we, we used uh, pro circuit engines and they had done a ton of work in R and D for the, uh, Troy Lee Honda, uh, supermoto team that year. So we were able to capitalize on that program and we had a great engine package right out of the get go. We didn't have to change anything. We didn't have to test. It was basically plug and play on an engine that had had just hundreds of hours of R and D already put into. So that was, uh, a great place to start. And then we also switched to MB one suspension for that year. And, uh, MB one's kind of still around, but it's, it's just not as, as in the forefront as it was, but a man named Mike Batista, which is the MB and MB one, uh, left Honda. He was the factory Honda show a technician. He left to start his own company. And that was the first year of MB one. And, and he jumped on board that team that I was on to kind of start pushing his suspension company. And he had the factory Honda settings from the year before. So it was really easy to immediately give us a setup that was like, you know, for me, it was kind of earth shatteringly different. Um, we had had good suspension in the past, in 04, we ran Enzo stuff, which was pretty good. Um, well, it was actually, uh, it was a, a brand called TBT, but we were using settings that Enzo had developed in that, uh, in that stuff. And it was tuning by Travis, but that 05 was just a, a huge step forward on every front. The, the chassis itself from Honda, the suspension was basically factory settings. You know, we, we basically had factory suspension for 05. And then pro circuits engine was by far the best 450 engine that I had ever ridden. You know, we were pushing, uh, I think our engine had around 58, 59 horsepower. And back then that was a lot, you know, that's not an impressive number now, but for then in the third year of a Honda 450, that was a really, really strong engine. So it kind of all just kind of started coming together in that 05 season and 06 was more of the same. I didn't like the bike as much in 06, but I, I figured out a way to cope with it. I just was kind of coming into my own. My skill set was there. I had a great program riding with Timmy Ferry and Chad Reed and all these guys. Um, you know, there was a lot of riders that had moved to Florida at that time. Josh Grant was around. Grant Langston was there. 
So we all pushed each other through the week and we just kind of, uh, used each other as midweek fodder to, to get better. You know, there was a lot of motivation and a lot of, uh, just positive vibes. Everybody was doing really well. You remember Josh Grant at that time was winning a lot of 250 races. Grant Langston was that year's 250 champion. Chad Reed was winning, almost won the 450 championship. And then you had me, I was battling for top privateer status week in and week out. So we all just fed off of each other's forward momentum and it was just a great time. So when I look back on the best times of my career, when I'm, when I was the most confident, that's probably what I would say, you know, and it carried into, into Europe and Australia and all these places too. Oh, five was oh five and oh six were definitely my best off season years. You know, I won pretty much everything in Germany that oh five season. Uh, I won Stuttgart. I won Munich. I won Chemnitz. Uh, I was second at Madrid behind, uh, McGrath. I just couldn't beat him. I, I tried. I was really close, but I couldn't beat him. I won two motos out of three in Australia um, in oh, end of Oh five. And it was just a good, you know, everything was kind of clicking Barcelona. I was second behind David Villeman. And, um, I really felt like I was on my way to being a perennial top 10 guy and start to knock on the, the door of the top five And Oh seven was terrible. Uh, we just couldn't get the bike to work. Uh, we had all kinds of issues. We, we tried to, we, I went to, uh, Butler brothers MX, which is now Rocky mountain KTM. But that first year, we just really struggled with the bike. I just couldn't get it to work at all. We had big-time suspension problems, and the engine was nowhere near as good as what I was used to. And it was just a learning process. You know, it was learning for the team. It was learning for me. And uh, we turned it around, but that was it. Derailed definitely derailed some momentum in that 07 season. But yeah, the the best times where I was the most confident, I felt like yeah, I'm a I'm a top ten guy. That was definitely that 05 and 06 time thing that held me back. Uh, you know what? I think honestly, just talent. I, I was never, you know, the fastest guy when we would go practice or at, you know, in time qualifying, I would struggle to, you know, if I was a 10th place guy at the race, I would probably be like a 15th place guy in time qualifying. I just didn't have that elite level talent of a lot of the guys that I was riding with. Now I could sometimes beat them. I could find a way to, you know, outthink them, um, outlast them fitness wise or, or whatever over the course of, you know, whether it was a 20 lap main event or, or a 35 minute moto, but just talent. I, you know, I just didn't have quite to the level that they did. That, that's not to say I wasn't talented. I mean, I won all kinds of amateur races and, you know, was top three at Loretta's and all, all those things. But the talent we're talking about is the very best, right? The guys that won Loretta's year in and year out, they were fact on factory equipment starting at, you know, eight years old. I wasn't on that level. So I think it just got to a point where I maxed out my, my talent level, you know, and that was my best ever finish in an outdoor race was fifth. And my best ever supercross finish was sixth. And that's pretty damn good, you know? And, and I, I don't, I don't, uh, have any regrets on that. I, I feel like for the talent that I was working with, that was pretty strong. You know, most people are never going to see anywhere near that good of a result. And I know it was just due to hard work and a lot of people helping me along the, along the way and teaching me, uh, new skill sets and work, work ethic that was, you know, instilled by my parents and, you know, Timmy Ferry and, and Chad Reed and all these guys showed me what it was going to take to make it as a professional. 
So I don't, I don't feel like I, I would have really left anything on the table as the other part of that question. I, I feel like I kind of got the most out of it possible. Now I do think at times I could have worked harder. The 2001 season when I rode, uh, for Husky, I didn't do a lot. I, I was so discouraged by the bike. Um, and, and I honestly, I kind of thought I had made it too. Uh, I, I, I can look back and say that honestly is I let my work ethic slip a little bit, but I was also really frustrated and I felt like no matter how hard I worked, I was going to be so limited by the motorcycle that year. So it really was discouraging and hard to get, get to a point where I was like, okay, I'm going to put in the work right now because it's all going to be worth it. I just kind of felt like no matter how much work I put in, I wasn't going to get there because the bike was always going to hold me back. And, and that was partially true. But what I should have realized was that I needed to fight through that and be the best I could because otherwise I'm not going to have a ride for that O2 season. That and, that, and that's exactly what happened. I, I ended up in a good spot on a Yamaha, but I didn't have my expenses paid for or anything like that for the O2 season. So it was kind of back to square one. And that was partially my fault. I would say mainly my fault, but it was also just because it was a really tough situation at Husky equipment wise. The last question, is there a current rider that reminds you of yourself? It's a good question. Um, you know, I think Alex Martin, but he was better than I ever was. He's winning races and he's been on a factory team for a long time. But when I watch, you know, Amart out there, it does remind me, we, you know, we're both shorter guys, obviously, and we struggle, you know, we both struggle in the whoops and, and that's our biggest vulnerability in supercross. We're, we were both very hard workers and fitness was never going to be in question. We were always going to be fit and, and fit it, the fittest of the guys around us. Uh, he obviously is on a Suzuki now and I finished my career on a Suzuki. So I would say Amart, he's just better, you know, his, his ceiling was much higher than mine ever got to be. So uh, but that's who I kind of identify with, even though Steve says I hate on him all the time, which is absolutely not true. Um, I think Amart does it the right way. He doesn't complain. He puts the work in and he, you know, always looks out for sponsors, rides cleanly. Um, so I, I, I kind of like his game quite a bit. Good question though, Skyler. I appreciate it. Uh, sorry, I didn't get to it last week. Next question is from Chase. Uh, and he's asking about on the track prep as we, you know, we're in the middle of the off season right now, and we're about to run into all of the boot camp stuff about to start in the next, uh, let's say two to three weeks, depending on which program you're on no later than the week of Thanksgiving, these guys are going to kick off their boot camp, And I would say most guys are probably a week out from really picking up the intensity. And that's going to give them two months, two full months of riding and training every day, just grinding out motos and really putting in long bicycle rides. And it's, it's not a lot of fun. Just start there. It's not fun. I mean, it's, it's, you look forward to it because you know, that's, what's going to make you better. You're almost kind of anticipating it, but it's also just a grind and your body hates you every day and you're sore every single day. You're tired. All you can, you just can't wait to sit on the couch at the end of the day, you know, it's usually nighttime by then. Cause you have some sort of late, uh, you know, evening fitness, whether it's gym work or your bicycle rides running into that session or whatever, you just want to rest and you got to hydrate and you know, it's just coming another day right behind it is coming. But all of that work is really what prepares you. And that's what you're going to lean on as your fitness base 
during the season. You know, when there's three rounds in one week, there is no time to train. There is no time to ride. So you've got to do all the work now to make sure that you are going to be ready for then. And, and building that fitness base is what it's all about. So the question is a little bit more about how do they prioritize and how do they set up their riding? You know, do they set it up into uh, compartments where it's, you know, lots of intensity at a certain time? Is it a lot of base building at a certain time? And yes, there is very much that. And it's, it's pretty straightforward. And, and obviously if you are as detailed and as experienced as Alden Baker, I'm sure he has it down to a science literally, but the basics are, you know, the early days of it. Um, and, and they've been testing, right? So he, he mentioned chase mentions testing in here. Testing has been ongoing during October. A lot of guys were riding sporadically trying to get testing done because what happens during testing is you determine which parts you need for the upcoming season and they have to order those parts. So you always want to get testing done as early as possible, at least on the, the key components so they can get those parts ordered and, and the factory can get to work on those so that, so they can pump them out and get them ready for the season. Once that's done, there will be another testing session. They usually do that in December, but that's much more for fine tuning the motorcycle. That's not going to be major parts like engine parts or suspension, um, hardware, things like that. That's all going to be done in that, uh, October timeframe, usually on, on, an, on a normal schedule, probably this year. Anyway, late October, they were doing all that stuff. So now they've had a couple weeks off at least at minimum, and they're going to roll into the, the beginning of boot camp, mid November, late November. And all that's going to consist of motos on motos on motos on motos on motos and long ones. So 20 laps minimum. And now it's kind of changed, right? Since my days, it's gone to the 20 minutes plus a lap. So it's all going to be based on time. And they're just going to do 20 minute supercross motos till they're blue in the face over and over and over. And they, they will work in some shorter stuff. They'll work in some heat races and some shorter stuff too. But right now it's all going to be about building your fitness base. So a typical day could be something like wake up, go on a run or a bicycle ride. You know, most guys are bicycle ride now to keep impact off your knees. Uh, some guys would do their gym work in the morning. I didn't like to do my gym work in the morning because I always felt like it, my muscles just felt tired when I was riding. If I worked out, you know, like an hour before I rode, I just didn't like that. And it wasn't very realistic. You would never work out with weights the morning of a race. So I, for me, that just kind of didn't work. Stretching though, if, if that's really part of your gym work is stretching, then that, I guess that's kind of okay. But for me, it would be bicycle ride. First thing, like wake up, make coffee, have coffee. And I would be drinking my coffee in my bicycle spandex. That was pretty much my morning every day for years and years and years was coffee in my spandex tights. Uh, finished that go on a bike ride. It was about an hour, sometimes a little less. And, um, this, that's kind of an end season type deal. So to steer this question better, and I apologize, I'm kind of wandering, but to steer this question better, let's say off season. So off season, you're going to wake up first thing, you're going to make coffee and you're going to go straight to the track because riding is going to take up a lot of the day. So wake up, maybe stretch a little bit, go straight to the track and you just get all your motos in. And you could be up to, you know, the most that Tim Ferry and I were doing was three 30 lap motos in a day. And you are absolutely destroyed at the end of that. So you finish that. Um, if you start at nine, which Timmy and I always started riding right at nine on the dot. And he was very meticulous that way we would be done by noon and you pretty much just go on the hour, right? You do your 
30 lap moto, which would be approximately, you know, 25 to 30 minutes. And then you'd have half an hour off to work on the bike, rest, you know, get some water, whatever power bar, whatever, you know, power bar, how outdated is that some sort of energy bar, go out, do another one at 10, do another one at 11. And we would be done. And I would be out of there by 12. That was every day. Okay. So you would go, we would go eat, you know, replenish calories. And then at about, let's say two o'clock you'd have, so you'd have a couple hours off shower, try, I, I would even take a nap sometimes like 20 minute nap. And then at two o'clock, maybe three o'clock you're, you're on your bicycle. And I would try to go at like two o'clock because you're going to go for probably two hours on your bicycle at that time of the year, no less than an hour. If you were doing less than an hour, you're pretty much wasting your time for off season training. So say a two hour bike ride. And in that bike ride, you probably would be going low and slow. And what I mean by low and slow is slow speed and low heart rate because you're just building your fitness base. So you're, you're not riding hard. It's not like this two hour bike ride is, is tour de France pace setting. You're just riding. You're just burning calories. You're getting yourself down to fighting weight, which a big part of this boot camp is getting all that excess weight off. So you come in at the weight, you know, your, your best race weight. And you're also, you know, building up your leg muscles and core muscles and all those things. So you do your two hour bike ride finish. I would like to be done by four, go back in, take another shower, you know, get hydrated, get some food. And then depending on the day, sometimes I would get a gym workout in that evening. I didn't work out with weights every day. I know a lot of guys are two to three days a week, um, depending on your program and, and how much they value, you know, gym workouts. But I think stretching is, is really valuable at the end of the day like that. So even if you just went to the gym and stretched on a mat or whatever, just to work out some of that soreness would be really good. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, a healthy dinner or whatever in, in the evening after the gym sh- session and then rest. And that's pretty much every day. And, you know, what Timmy and I started doing in the later years, we would do three days on and two days off. And I remember that final year he raced like, you know, 08, 09. That was our program the whole off season. And Chad had gone to Australia. So I didn't get to practice with him uh, much that going into that 08 season. So Timmy and I rode every day together. And that was what it was. Three days on, two days off every single week for just weeks on weeks on weeks on weeks. And by the end of that third day, you know, you're, so you wake up, do three 30 lap motos, rest, bicycle ride, rest, gym session, go to sleep, wake up, start over. You are completely destroyed at the end of that third day. So I can remember driving home on the third day, like after I was done with everything and just being like, oh dear God, like you literally the first day the morning you would just like lay there all, all half a day. And you're just like, I don't want to move. I'm not doing anything. Like you can call me lazy. You can say whatever you want, but I am not moving. And then, you know, I would try to take, um, do like Epsom salt bass and, and anything to try to loosen yourself up. I would ride a stationary bike just to loosen up because you would little, like you would legitimately, legitimately be really sore on that first day. Cause you just hammered yourself into oblivion for three days. And that that's, no hyperbole. You would just be completely vapored, just done. So you just want to try to get some blood flowing and burn and, you know, flush some of that lactic acid out. Then the second day I would, you know, pick up a little bit more, do more of a bike ride, maybe do some stretching and, you know, even just go for a walk. 
but I wouldn't do any sort of hard exercise at all. I, I wouldn't be completely useless, you know, because the rule in training is you, even on your off day, you want to do something. You don't want to just sit. Even if it's a 15 minute stationary bicycle ride, get the blood flowing, get your lactic acid flush going. That's really important. So I would do something on that off day, but not too hard because I knew it was going to be three more days of hell right in front of me. So that's kind of what it is for, I'm going to say at least the first month, maybe six weeks. And it's hellacious. It really, really is. And it's okay. We're not digging ditches. We're not, um, working in a mine or something like I, I understand, but it is really, really hard work. And your body is just screaming at you all three days, right? All three of those days that you're putting in work. It's just like, Oh my God, I, I can't, like, I can't keep going, but you know that all that hard work is going to pay off and you just, you got to want it. in those times you have to be determined and you have to keep yourself motivated because everything is telling you to take time off and you're overdoing it and blah, blah, blah. But that is truly the time that, that creates the success that you're going to see and and the, the money and all the accolades and all the things that you want. That's where it comes from. It doesn't happen on race day. Race day is just basically bearing the fruit of all that work. It's almost like that race day was already decided. You know, the, the work that you're doing in November and December is determining the success that you're going to get to earn. You know, you're going to get to feel and all the smiles and celebration, everything that's going to happen in, you know, January, February, March, April for the guys that are winning. That's all created in November and December. That work you just, it's delayed. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Delayed gratification is the word I'm looking for. It just, it takes a while, but you have to, you just have to believe that it's going to show up. And it does that. That's why those guys just punish themselves starting, you know, mid November and it's coming. These guys are, they're winding up for it. It's about to all happen. So in December, it starts to change a little bit and you start to steer more towards intensity. You're still going to be doing motos, but you're going to start working in some shorter stuff, some eight lap, you know, sprint stuff, some two lap sprint stuff. You're going to start working on your speed because you've got your base now. And now you've got to start getting, working on getting faster. You got to start upping the intensity and, and putting all of that hard work into play. And it's, it happens gradually. You know, one day, like I would just show up and, and Timmy was getting his program from his trainer, Dean Golich. And we would, I would show up and be Timmy's like, okay, we're working in some sprints today, first day. And you'd be like, oh, thank God. Because the sprints are, you know, they're intensity wise, they're hard, but they're so much easier on your body. You're not really getting sore from doing a bunch of sprints. You know, that it's not really that difficult Two laps. Yes. Your heart rate's super high, but it's not just this grinding wear and tear on your body. Like 30 lap motos are. So that starts to ramp up in December. You want to start getting faster and faster and faster. And, you know, with time qualifying now, that's a big key. So you have to work on those one lap just kind of over the limit type lap time riding, which in my day, that wasn't really a big deal because we had qualifying races and that's in the mid two thousands. Right. So I didn't really care about one lap sprint speed. I didn't really practice it very much because it, it really was irrelevant. You know, if my practice time wasn't great, eh, whatever, as long as I didn't let it psych me out, I didn't really care because my, if I had to qualify in the afternoon, if I wasn't, you know, top 10 or top 20 points or whatever, I knew it was a race. So the race was all that mattered anyway. It was a four lap race, which I practiced plenty of, of the sprint stuff to be ready for. So now those guys do a ton more one lap sprints than I ever did. It's a really big component now because they want to qualify well. 
they want to get a good gate pick in the heat and really more for bragging rights and keeping sponsors happy. You need to qualify. Well, it's just a part of the game now. So I'm sure they do a ton of that now too, but really that say you're going to race the beginning of January, which we know this year is going to be the middle part of January. But for me going into Christmas time, right? So like December 20th, we would really start to begin changing our program a lot. Middle of December, you start adding sprints in. Christmas week, you start tapering a little bit. You're not killing yourself on the road bicycle anymore. You're doing less motos and you're really starting to try to get into what racing is going to look like. And that last week before, because we would fly to California the week of Anaheim, that last week would be a lot of sprint stuff and you would mimic race day quite a bit. And I think that's really important. And I know David Bailey has spoken on this quite a bit. I think it's an underutilized aspect of training is you should be mimicking race day quite often, whether it's outdoors or supercross before the race. And we would do that. I don't know, eight or nine days in a row before we went to, to California, just every day you wake up and just make it just like race day, wake up, do your bicycle ride at home, just like you'd be at the hotel gym. It's just a basic 30 minute spin out on the bicycle just to get the blood flowing and kind of wake your body up for what's going to come. Go to the practice track, do your two or three, whatever the, the format is. It's changed, changed a bunch of times over the years, your practices and make sure you get a good lap time in, in there somewhere, but you're getting used to the track. You bust out some fast laps to get the bike dialed in get your one good lap in. So you throw in some heaters at some point, do your, if you have, you know, I generally wouldn't do a, a qual- afternoon qualifying race in that because I was training with Timmy and Chad and they never had to do that. So I always worked with what they wanted to do, but then you, you would take a break, you would eat something and then you would get ready for a heat race and you would do your eight lap heat. We would usually do a semi just in case I would pretty much always had to go to the semi anyway, sometimes in LCQ, but you do your eight lap heat you would do your six lap semi and then we would do our 20 lap main and you just do it over and over and over every day. Right. You're so the, with the goal being when you show up to Anaheim on race day, it's just another day. And I've heard that repeated many times by many champions. Alden Baker's big on this is you, you want race day to just be robotic. It shouldn't be anything out of the usual It shouldn't be, there should be no surprises to your body. You should have all your nutrition figured out. You should be eating the same thing every single race day that you do on practice day. So your body's prepared for it. You're, you don't have any, you know, stomach cramps or you're not feeling weird. Your energy level's not varying any of those things, right? Any variance from the norm is bad. You don't want your body to have any surprises on race day. So you're training it to be robotic. You're training it to know exactly what's going to happen at exactly the same time. And and that's just what we were doing over and over and over. So you just get into this rhythm and your body knows, okay, I got a 20, I, you know, I have an eight lap race coming. I have a five lap race coming or whatever, whatever the case may be, you know, what's coming and your body starts to adapt to it. And I don't know all of the, the neurological side or the physiological side, how your body works, but it definitely adapts to that and it knows it prepares for it. It can feel what's coming and you'd have to go through it. I'm sure scientifically somebody could explain how your body works that way and your mind and your body work together, uh, to kind of know what to expect. You just, it it feels what's coming and, and it gets up like your energy level picks up because you know, what's going to have, have to be ready for. 
And when you wake up that morning, it knows what's coming. And, you know, Ricky Carmichael was always famous for saying that race day was the easiest day of the week because it was kind of, you know, a couple practices, a heat race and a main event. That's nothing compared to the workload that he would have in the off season. You know, that was super easy. It seemed like a walk in the park. And that's what you want your body to feel like on race day. You don't want it to feel like some Herculean effort on race day. It should be easy because you've done it over and over and over and over. And it should just be, again, should just be another day. So great question. Lots of, uh, parts to that question. Um, but I, I like talking about that stuff. I think there's a lot that guys could still learn, you know, not, not the, the elite, they have incredibly smart trainers and doctors and people around them that know endlessly more than I do. But I think there are a lot of young racers that don't, they don't have a lot of guidance and they don't have people that have been around this their whole life telling them this is what you should be doing and when. Um, so, and there is a lot too that I've, I've gone through really productive off seasons where I came into the season, just ready to go. And I've come into some seasons where I wasn't. And that was partially due to either my lack of work or partially just not, you know, knowledge in my younger years. I just didn't know enough. I didn't know what it took and when to be working hard and not. And, uh, that's just something that experience or someone that has experience can teach these guys. So thanks for that question, Chase. Um, so that's it for this week. Told you it's going to be short. But I do want to thank all the sponsors again. Pirelli, go to at Pirelli MX on their Instagram. Uh, they're doing some video game giveaways, which is pretty cool. That was something I, I noticed that's new. They're also still doing the rider support program. They just uh, wrapped up MXGP and MX2 World Championships. So that's pretty cool. They always win over there. And I think you're going to see over time, right? This isn't an overnight project, but you're going to see some of these, uh, some of these teams start to gravitate more towards Pirelli in the future. That's, that's what I truly believe. Um, because you look at Europe and they, they win pretty much everything and there's, it's not by happenstance, right? There's such a disconnect between the winning that goes on in Europe and then what people who are just casual viewers that aren't paying attention, they would never know that they would never know that Pirelli absolutely dominates MXGP and MX2 in Europe. They dominate, you know, obviously the Spectre for Formula One, right? It's just a, such a huge global company. And I think for whatever, re, for whatever reason, America's the, the final frontier for that. And it'll happen eventually. Pirelli will finally decide to go all in on America, you know, when the time is right. The, the world's so crazy right now. And the economies, obviously, Europe's getting hit hard again by COVID-19. So who knows what the short-term situation is. But long-term, I am very bullish on uh, Pirelli's chances. Blenzel Oils, they're working on a bunch of new formulations. So you'll see those come out. But Michael Lessi won on his Blenzel 125 this weekend at Glen Helen. So that's pretty cool. They are a big supporter of Michael Lessi. So go to at Blenzel on their Instagram. Go to Blenzel.com for all of your oil needs. They have basically everything you could want, plus merchandise and all kinds of cool things happening over there. Works Connection. Go to at Works Connection, Instagram. Go to worksconnection.com, pick up the Pro Launch Start device. We've been talking about that quite a bit. Tried and true whole shot device. Those guys know what they're doing. If you saw Chris Keefe, Chris Keefer's whole shot on Instagram today, he uses the Pro Launch Start device. And most of the factory teams do for a reason. Factory Honda, JGR, you see all that Star Yamaha. The guys that get the whole shots, guess what they use? Works Connection Pro Launch Start device. Fast Foundry. They are a tech solutions company. They work with fortune 500 companies. So if you're looking to modernize or just get more efficient, if you want to host a virtual event, literally anything for your company, 
they can help you do it better. I'm actually going to get with Robert, uh, one of the owners over there next Friday. And uh, we're going to get some real life examples and uh, have a conversation with Robert about Fast Foundry. So look for that. But definitely want to thank those guys. Go to fastfoundry.com for more information. Also want to thank Risk Racing. They have a ton of items. You should check out at riskracing.com from palm protectors to the lock and load system. They have the Ripper automated goggle roll-off system. They have the whole shot race gate, tons of items over there. So check out at risk racing on Instagram and riskracing.com. Palm Creek funding. Refis are everywhere, folks. We are setting records for refis in this country. Jerome Powell, who is the Fed chairman, just came out the other day and said that mortgage or excuse me, interest rates are going to stay very low again. They're remaining unchanged. And I think you can you can look forward to that for the foreseeable future. You're going to be able to get a great deal on a house or a refi for a while. So if you haven't done it yet, give Zach Morris a call, 720-212-4685 and at Plum Creek Funding on Instagram. And just ask him how he can help you. How can Plum Creek Funding save you a ton of money? And even if he's not certified in your state, he can at least give you good advice. And that's the cool thing about Zach is he's obviously he wants your business. That's that's the point of all this. But He's so down to earth and so cool. He's at least going to steer you in the right direction and answer your questions so you can make the right decision. And that's kind of how it started with me. You know, it wasn't, he, I didn't have an industry seating podcast, but I knew him. He's friends with, we have mutual friends and I just asked him questions and he walked me through my 2017 refinance at no benefit to him. That's just the kind of guy he is. So thanks to Zach and Plum Creek Funding. Premier Vapor Blasting of Georgia. I always say this, but go to their Instagram. It's at Premier Vapor Blasting and see real-world examples of how they can restore your bike. It doesn't matter if your bike's brand new or if it's hammered. If it's dirty, like this weekend, that Glen Helen race, muddy as hell. I, I was laughing because Steve Mathis is, you know, he's Blue Crew and, and is all about it. His bike's probably going to look pretty rough after all that Glen Helen mud. So that's a great opportunity for him to send his stuff to Premier Vapor Blasting and get it looking brand new again. And again, if you want proof or you want to see what I'm talking about, go to their Instagram at Premier Vapor Blasting. You'll see exactly what I mean. If you mention the Industry Seating Podcast, you get a 25% discount. So it's it's win-win all around. 612 Suspension, you can go to 612suspension.com. They are a race tech affiliate and they will work on anything power sports related. Dirt bikes, adventure touring bikes, uh, side-by-sides, street bikes, whatever you have. They can get you dialed in oil change, uh, race tech revalve, whatever you're looking for. Go to at 612 suspension. That's S I X the number one, two suspension on Instagram or 612 suspension.com and ask for Ronnie. He is a second generation suspension builder. So he's been around this his whole life and has a ton of experience. So check those guys out. Grandstone boots. I've known these guys for quite a while. Uh, and then I just, you know, Wyatt reached out to me recently and said, Hey, let's, uh, let's get back involved. So I'm really happy to have Grandstone back on board. I have several pairs of their boots and it snowed today in Boise. So I will be breaking my boots out moving forward. It's, it's that time of year again. So thanks to Grandstone for coming back on. You can go to grantstoneboot.com or at Grandstone on Instagram and check out all the boots. Cause we all had jobs, right? Some of you probably work in corporate office. Great opportunity to pick up a moto-based uh, pair of boots. ProGlow Wash. Thanks to Ryan and Audrey, the team over there, for coming on board. For Steve Mathis, whose bike is hammered after that Glen Helen mud, he should have had some ProGlow Wash. 
So go to goproglow.com and check out the line of power sports washes they have and get your bike looking brand new. And in between your restoration projects with Premier Vapor Blasting, you can keep it as clean as possible with ProGlow. Last but not least, thanks to Fly Racing for all that they do. Uh, I am actually flying to Florida tomorrow for a TV commercial shoot. Hopefully we can avoid this hurricane that is inbound, but they allow me to do lots of cool things. We have some new ideas and some new projects we're working on. I'm not ready to release all the details just yet, but uh, some exciting things are happening in the world of fly racing. So thank you to everything that that brand does for me. And that's it for this week. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to all the sponsors. Please go out and support them. If you have any questions on any of those sponsors, reach out to me. Obviously I'm here to do everything I can to support them as much as they support me. We will talk to you soon. See you.